Good morning. If you have your Bibles, if you'll open it to the book of John, I want to read a passage to you out of John, the second chapter. It's a very familiar passage. John, the second chapter, I want to read starting at about verse 13. It says, And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. All right, so let me stop there for just a second. <clears throat> I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the, of the bystanders here, maybe specifically some of the apostles. All right, up to this point, what you've got is you've had Jesus, and He has been beginning His ministry. He has called some of His apostles, and they have begun to follow Him. We know that uh, many of those have left their things behind, left their home, and, and wholly committed to following this man. And they experience uh, the marriage at, uh, at Cana where, they, uh, where Jesus turns the water into wine. But this is very early on in Jesus' ministry. And the apostles that are traveling with Him have very limited experience with Him. Alright? And so, imagine that that, that is you. And if, if you're a human, you are probably, as you're going along, there's probably something inside of you that is just yearning uh, for the Lord, and, and there's just something about uh, the things that He says that just makes your heart burn inside of you, and there's an excitement there, and there's just a, a, a powerful feeling that you have that just seems to radiate off of Him, and you know that He's somebody special, but you haven't had a whole lot of time with Him, and then all of a sudden, you come up into Jerusalem, and you go into the temple with Him, and you see this man who... Uh, you believe is very special. And you see this man all of a sudden basically going nuts in the temple. Now be honest with yourself. If you're following Jesus, you're like, man, this is Jesus, you know, and, and He's done some great things. And you look up and all of a sudden He is taking tables and flipping them over. And He's taking the, the, the uh, money changer's money and He's pouring it out. And he goes over here and he basically makes a whip and he begins to drive men and animals out of this temple. Now be honest with yourself. Would you not take just a little step back and be like, wait a minute. If you met somebody, let's say. Let's say you met somebody, uh, say you're a young lady or a young man and you meet somebody and, and you just think uh, that y'all are so compatible and you think, hey, this might be the one that I marry and you're so excited about it. Maybe you date for two or three months and then all of a sudden he goes into a restaurant and he throws a major fit and he is hollering at the waitress and he's dumping out the money that they brought back and he's storming out of there. You would step back and say, wait a minute, right? You'd be like, uh, who? maybe you're not the person I thought you were. And if I were one of the apostles, very likely I would have thought, okay, I, maybe, maybe I need to really think hard about what I'm fixing to commit myself to. Maybe, maybe this guy has got to screw loose. Maybe it's like some of these Pharisees and some of these Jews are saying, maybe, maybe he's a little touched in the head. 
I mean, if we were honest, we all would probably deep down have some of those thoughts, right? Because here is Jesus making a huge scene. I thought this was the son of peace. I thought this was the man um, that was all about love and kindness and gentleness. And I've seen a few of the things that he's done and the way he spoke. It's like this guy's bipolar. And he's going crazy in the temple. That's what I would have thought. I would have really had to step back and think about what I was fixing to commit myself to. But I want to read the next verse here. It says, And His disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Now remember at this point, the, the, uh, you know, the canon of Scriptures that they have, they have you know, the Old Testament. You'll see Paul referencing the Psalms uh, on, on occasion. And here it is clear that the apostles and the disciples had spent some time reading some of the Psalms because it says they remembered that it was written. Or where was it written? It was written in the 69th chapter of Psalms. That the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, meaning I am zealous and I am uh, uh, I am fired up about the house of God and I take it very seriously and I am so in love and so zealous and so on fire for the Lord and His house that Jesus comes in and He will not tolerate what He sees going on. Alright, now here's what I want you to think about. <clears throat> Whatever thoughts they may have had arise in their minds about what they were seeing Jesus do, the thoughts that they might have had of, wait a minute now, this guy may not be who we thought he was. We need to step back and really think about what we're fixing to do in following him. All of those thoughts were squashed because they remembered something that they had read. I hope you're following me on that. It completely changed their emotions and their outlook and what they thought about Jesus because they knew some things about him that they had read in times past. Now, I imagine, in my head anyway, that those disciples, before Jesus ever came onto the scene, that they were probably flipping through whatever uh, you know, uh, a record of Scriptures they had. Again, clearly they had the Psalms. And I imagine they flipped through there and they read like many of us do, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, on and on and on and on and on. And I bet you they read that multiple times and it never moved them and it never stirred them. They probably just read through it and they got the information and they kept on reading because we're kind of a, especially now, we're kind of a right now society. We want it all right now. And a lot of times when we go to the Word of God, we're looking for something that we need right now. And if we look for a few minutes and we don't find it, we may put it down and go find something else. But here, when these apostles, these disciples had read through the Psalms and they read that, that the zeal of thine house has eaten me up, probably meant nothing to them. Until sometime later, they experienced something and they remembered what he said or what it said. And it completely changed their outlook on the current situation. Because they were looking at that situation through the lens of the scriptures, not through the lens of human logic. Because human logic would say, this guy's crazy, he can't control his emotions, he's throwing a fit, he's dangerous. We better step back and go follow something else. 
But when you look at it through the lens of the Scriptures, you see that situation as completely different. I hope you can follow that with me now. Let's look, look on in another example here. Let's go to John the 12th chapter. John the 12th chapter. Again, Jesus is coming into the city of Jerusalem. And it says in verse 12, On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took, palm, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet Him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And, when, and Jesus, when He had found a young ass, sat thereon. Now, remember what the Jews are thinking. The Jews are thinking, this is our King. This is our King here. And, and uh, some of them are very confused that they think He is coming to set up an earthly kingdom to deliver them from the Roman Empire and to reestablish them as a powerful nation, maybe like they were back at, in times of the Old Testament. And so they've got this idea, this human logic again, that kings sit on big, pretty, black, white horses, with, with all kind of uh, you know, garb draped off of them. They're sitting up way high above the crowds. That's how the kings traveled. Human logic says a king does not sit on a young donkey, or as the Bible says, a young ass. So human logic says, what? Jesus, we thought you were a king, but you're not entering Jerusalem like a king. Let's go find you something a little bit better, a little more impressive to the human eye to ride on. Because we believe that you're the king, but right now, Lord, you're not acting very kingly and you're making us second guess all this time we've been with you. See, don't get, your, don't get in your head that the apostles were, were always these high spiritually minded people. The apostles, they struggled many times. They were like you and I are. And so they look at Jesus and says, hey, you're not being very kingly by getting on this young ass and riding in there. But what does it say? It says, And Jesus, when he, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh sitting on an ass's colt. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Here, we find the apostles being able to recall a verse of Scripture that says your king, whose name is Jesus, will enter in and he will not be riding on the humongous horse with all the garb on him. He's going to enter in and he's going to be riding on an ass's colt. The fact that they could recall this Scripture completely changed the way they viewed this situation. When you look at it through the eyes of human logic, it does not make sense that the Lord will be flipping tables over, making whips, and driving people out of the temple. But when you look at it through the lens of Scripture, it makes perfect sense. And it calms our emotions and it clears our mind. So we can see it in the appropriate way. It does not make sense that the king would come in riding on, uh, on, on an ass's colt until you look at it through the lens of the Scripture. Right. And then you say, I'm not surprised because that's exactly the way he said he would enter. Right. As a matter of fact, him getting on the ass's colt validates who he is. Amen. 
So, I hope you're beginning to understand the importance of Scripture and where I'm going with this. Let's look in John. Let's keep flipping through John here. Let's look in John the 16th chapter for just a second. In John the 16th chapter, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. This is Jesus speaking to some of these same apostles that have seen Him drive out the traitors from the temple and they've seen Him enter Jerusalem in on the, on the, uh, on the, uh, the ass. And it says in verse 1, These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will thinketh that he doeth God's service. That's, a, that's always been an unsettling verse for me. It's always been a little unsettling verse for me because oftentimes the enemy that the church faces and the children of God face is not the vampire looking guys. It's the religious world. And here the Lord is saying, listen guys, there's going to come a time that people are going to kill you and when you draw your last breath, they will think in the eyes of God they have done a great thing. And it says, And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor Me. But these things have I told you that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. You see what He's giving them? He's giving them some spiritual glasses. And He's saying, there's coming a time when things are going to happen to you that are awful. They're not only they're going to hurt your feelings, they're going to hurt your heart, and they're going to hurt your body, and they're going to take your lives. But I want you to understand something, apostles, that when those whips come across your back, and when they beat you and they cut you and they lay you out to behead you, when they mock you, when they spit on you, when they do all these terrible things, all the while thinking they're doing God a service. I don't want you to look at that through the lens of human logic. Because if you look at that through the lens of human logic, you will be in despair, you will be in fear, and you will second guess whether you should have ever left your nets and followed me. But if you will look at it through the lens of the Scripture, and through what I am telling you, there is a great strength and a great peace in that. If you look at it, through the lens of the Scripture. Now, let me give you an example here of what happens when you don't do that. Let's go on to John the 20th chapter. In John the 20th chapter, the Lord Jesus Christ has been crucified and He's been laid in the tomb. And it says in the first verse of John 20, it says, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark under the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid Him. Peter Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple who is John, and came to the sepulchre, and they both ran together. And it says, The other disciple outran Peter, and they came to the tomb here. Are you picturing that? They come to the tomb. And they, st- they stoop down and they look into it. Simon Peter comes after John and he looks into it. And what do they see? They see the clothes laying there, but they don't see the Lord. 
And it says, Then went in also the other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and saw it, and believed. But listen in verse 9 here. It says, For as yet they knew not the Scripture, that He must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. Alright, picture that for a second. Here come... Here, here comes Peter and John running to the empty tomb. They look into the tomb and it's empty. And I imagine they stand back and they kind of rub their forehead and they probably exchange a conversation of what do you, what, what, what do you think could have happened? And it says, and then they went home. They went home. To me, that's, a, that's a, a picture of being finished. When I'm done at the end of the day, I go home. It's where I wind down and stop. They went home. They didn't run through the streets screaming, He's alive! He's alive! They didn't say run through the streets screaming, The tomb is empty! They went home. And the Bible says, For they knew not the Scripture that He must rise again from the dead. Now listen, they knew it up here. Because Jesus had told them many times. But they had grown so dull and so distracted by the events of the last three days that they did not recall it to their mind. Now, what are they looking at this through? They're looking at it through the lens of human logic. I don't know where he is. Your guess is as good as mine. Let's go home. But if they would have looked at it through the lens of Scripture, this account would read very differently. If they would have remembered the things that he said, it would have been a lot different. Now, you go on and what you find is that there comes a time that Jesus appears to them. If you go back to John, the second chapter, for just a second, there comes a time that, that uh, He appears to them and He said, well, I, the, the apostles believed. The apostles believed that He had risen from the dead. Well, then why does the Bible say He upbraided them for their unbelief? You see, they were in a state of unbelief. They were not walking around confident that He had been risen from the dead. In the minds of the apostles, He was gone. Because they looked at it through the wrong lens. But then when Jesus appears in front of them, it says in John the second chapter, Jesus answered to the Jews and said unto them, Destroy this temple and in three days will I raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and will thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the Scripture and the word which Jesus had said. They finally got the right lens on. But when they're standing at that empty tomb, they didn't pick up the lenses that said, No, remember John? Don't be in despair. He said that He was going to destroy the temple and raise it again in three days and He was speaking of His body. Let's rejoice and go tell our brethren. That's not what they did. They just went home. But later when He stood in front of them, that dullness fell off of them and they remembered what He said. They remembered that He said, as Jonah was in the well's belly three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. They remembered those things. But now listen, there are many times that we read the Word of God and at the time, it doesn't mean a whole lot to us. Mm -hmm. 
Now, that doesn't mean that we don't like it, that we don't embrace it and believe it, but it doesn't stir us. Are you with me? Because we feel like at the time we don't need it. But there may come a time in our lives where we very much need the things that we have read in the past. So we can see clearly through the lens of the Scripture the situation that is before us. If the apostles would have never taken the time to read where it said, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, they would have spent a great deal of time in confusion. It's important as God's people that we study the Scripture of God. Understanding that we may not need it right now, but we may very well need it in the future. Do you understand that there could very well come a time that you could be in prison for preaching the gospel. Mm-hmm. We're on a fast track to that. That's right. That the time very well could come that as I stand up in here preach, preaching that somebody may come drag me, Brother Tim, Brother Neil, out of here and saying, we told you, you couldn't do this. Mm-hmm. And they take my Bible away from me and they throw it in the fire. <laughs> And they take me down to the jail and they throw me in a cell. You know how many times I've read the account of Paul and Silas? A bunch. And it's not stirred me too terribly much. I mean, it moves me. But it'll move me a whole lot more if I was sitting in that jail cell. Are you with me? And I will have been glad that I had read it in that moment. There may come a time that I face insurmountable odds in the eyes of men. And I will be so thankful that I read the account of Gideon. Amen. I hope you follow me. There may be times that I face great harm to me for standing up for what is right. Understanding what happened to Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach will mean a whole lot more to me then than it means to me now. But I will be glad that I had spent time in the Word of God. There are things that I read in the Word of God that I may not really understand right now. I think if anybody stood up in a pulpit and said they understand all the things of the Bible, they'd be lying to you. There are things in the Bible that I don't understand and if you come ask me about them, I'm going to tell you, I just don't know. But I also find in the Bible many times that people walked with the Lord and did not understand what He he was saying to them until He gave them understanding. There's a time in the Bible that, that the Lord is talking to His apostles and one of the apostles says, you're speaking to us in Proverbs. Would you just please speak to us plainly? And Jesus does not change the way He is talking to them. But the disciples say, oh, now you're speaking to us plainly. But Jesus didn't change anything in the way He spoke. He just gave them something they needed at that moment. And it was understanding. There may be things that I read in the Bible and I've read 30 different times and have really no idea what the application is, but I may find myself in a situation 
in the future that the Lord gives me understanding. And I need what I had spent time in in the past. Now, this world that we live in, you know, we live in Babylon. Did you know that? We live in Babylon. Babylon, when you read through the Bible, is the world, is Satan's world system. And the word Babylon means confusion. That's literally what it means. We have, listen, don't wait, as the Bible said, for the great nations from the north to come down thinking that's Babylon. We have kings and queens of Babylon now in authority. All throughout our government, kings and queens of Babylon sit there. And they are puppets of Satan's worldly system and they bring great confusion to America. So much confusion that we can't decide, that we're letting people decide what gender they are. So much confusion that we're to the point now where if you stand on God's truth, you're the bigot. And if somebody does evil works, they're the righteous. So much confusion that evil is called good and good is called evil. Why? Because kings and queens of Babylon now sit on the thrones of our nation. I'm not talking about our president. I'm talking about all through our government. Kings and queens of Babylon sit and there's great confusion for us. You know what we need? We need those spiritual lenses to look at where we are and be able to say, I'm not alarmed by that. Because I'm looking at it through a lens that the rest of the world may not be looking at. Looking through. In conclusion, let me give you this. Just as a quick example. In 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. Third chapter, I'm sorry. First verse, it says this, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Have you ever sat and and been wringing your hands over the peril that we see? Feel like it snuck up on you? It surprised you? Look at it through the lens of the Scripture. It should be no surprise. It says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come for... That means here's the reason they're coming. It says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. You think disobeying your parents is a big deal? It, It made this list. Unthankful, unholy. Without natural affection. You know what that means? It means uh, literally means unsocial. It means unsocial. We've gone from a time now where 95% of our communication is through text. We don't even hear the voices of the people that we know. We've become so unsocial because of things like social media. Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce. Despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. When I sat down and read this list, I did not have to think very long at all to think of an example of each one. Right. You know why? Because we're there. Amen. 
These things abound. They're everywhere. But I don't pace the floor worried about it because God's Word told me it's coming. He said, yeah, this is what's going to be happening towards the last days. You know, I think it's over in the book of Daniel when it talks about the last days. I think it's Daniel 12. Correct me if I'm wrong there. Where it talks about in the last days that men will go to and fro and knowledge will increase. You can hop on a plane and go anywhere you want to and be there before dark. We're going to and fro all over the place. And if I want to know something, I can Google it and know it now. Knowledge is increasing. We're traveling to and fro. The last days, perilous times shall come. And I'm not telling you the Lord's coming back tomorrow. I'm not telling you He's coming back in the last hundred years. But the condition of our society with the kings and queens of Babylon sitting on the throne and mass confusion running amok does not surprise me. And all it does is in a weird kind of way comforts me because it's the birth pains before God's people are delivered. Amen. Now, I hope that's made some sense to you. I would encourage you in the same way that Paul encouraged Timothy. As we wait for the coming of our Lord, study to show thyself approved. He also tells Timothy, give thyself to reading. Because what you read today may not mean a hill of beans to you. But tomorrow, every heartbeat, every breath you take may be hanging on. 